This is Revelation Response, a podcast where we talk about who God is, what He's done in our lives, and how we can't help but respond in worship. We want these episodes to be an encouragement wherever you are on your faith journey to pay attention to what God is saying to you and to consider how you might respond. Now, here's my conversation with Rob Sweet. Hey, well, welcome back to the podcast. I'm Nate Souza, your host, and I have a repeat visitor today, Rob. Thanks for coming back. Glad to be here, Nate. <laughs> so good. And for those who don't know, uh, maybe just tell a little bit about yourself and what you do at the church and all that. Yeah, so Rob Sweet, and I'm the lead pastor at Fellowship Bible Church, which means I do about half of the teaching, along mm-hmm. with Lloyd Shadrach, at both of our campuses at Brentwood and Franklin. And then I also lead our staff team. Yeah. And I'm an elder at Fellowship, and uh, about half of what I do is kind of on the leadership side of things. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, thanks again for coming back. And uh, today we're talking more about um, a subject that is uh, maybe more typical coming from a worship leader or, or music song leader. You know, we're talking about a lyric. Um, and maybe I, I want to ask you this too. When we say we exposit a text, for those that don't know, what does exposit mean? It's a great question. On It's a fancy word that just means we explain. Okay. That's all it means. And okay. It, in you know, in the church circles, like for preaching context, it usually means line by line, verse by verse. I'm, we're going to explain the text. You know, read it. We're going to exposit it, which is explain it. Okay. And we apply it. Okay. And that church, that's usually verse by verse for us. You know, yes. so we're going through the Book of John. We get to chapter four, and we're just opening up, saying, "Okay, verse one, verse two, verse three, Just going through it verse by verse. You know, that's right. It doesn't ha- you don't have to do expositional teaching through an entire book. Mm-hmm. Anytime you have a text, a paragraph, yeah. a group of verses that you're explaining, mm-hmm. that's exposition. Gotcha. Okay. But the way we do it is we pick a book of the Bible and go through verse by verse. Yeah. And I love that too, because we talk a lot about context, either he's telling a story or someone's in the middle of an argument and they've got point one, two, three, you know? And so sometimes when you cherry pick verses, you just jump around. You don't know the context. You don't know what came before or what came after it, you know? And so our discussion today um, is about great is thy faithfulness and just looking at the whole lyric of that, you know, um, songs uh, and the lyrics that we sing have meaning beyond just the sound of the song or the, what the guitar and the bass and the piano are doing, um, the lyric itself can be almost be written or read as prose, you know, like on a page. It has a point, it has a building to it, you know, and so every line would matter. And so we just said, what if we exposited a text, you know, and you just walk through a song like you would walk through a passage of the Bible and just say, you know, this is the argument being built or this is the statement. And by the time we're done, you have this beautiful piece of music that we sing, but you know, my hope at the end of this is that someone that sings the song or hears the song would be moved in a different way because you understand it deeper. Uh, you know the story behind it. You know, you know, every line that comes up, you might think that's what that means, and that's why it changes me today. So, let's, uh, yeah, if you want, let's jump in. I mean, or if you have extra thoughts on that, well, I'll just say I love the idea behind this because, and I know you're a big believer in this. The lyrics of the songs we sing mm-hmm. shape our beliefs. Oh man. That happens whether you want them to or not. Yeah. And so one of the reasons I love some of the great hymns is because it's theology that's consistent with Scripture. This mm. hymn in particular, yeah. which we'll talk about, 
is very closely aligned with scripture. Yeah. And so we get these lyrics in our head and then they, they influence our theology and what we believe. And then that influences what we say and how mm. we act and ultimately everything about us. Yeah. That's so good. Well, let's jump in. Maybe is there a background story you want to cover on? Yeah. This? So let me, let me say this. I, I liked what the connection you made to expositing a scripture passage. Here's why. One of the things we do in our exposition here at Fellowship is we talk about context a lot. Mm-hmm. It matters what was going on in the life of the author, the context, what was happening in the church, the letter was being written to, whatever it is. Yeah. So I want to start with some context okay. to the man that wrote the lyrics yeah, to great is thy faithfulness. And I, I will add, just as we're starting this, uh, this is one of the um, probably most beloved hymns mm-hmm. by many people. Yeah. It's a well-known hymn for sure. It was my, it is my dad's favorite. Hymn. Oh, that's cool. So I always okay. think of him when we sing it. <laughs> and I've awesome. thought of him as I've been researching and, yeah. and teaching this, but that's great. Thomas Obadiah Chisholm. Hmm. How's that for a name? There's a name. That's a name. <laughs> he was born in 1866. Now, he was born in Franklin, Kentucky. Oh, man. The so other Franklin. Close. So close. <laughs> yeah. You, you, you ever driven by it? Franklin? I don't think so. Yeah. So, if you if you take 65 North, you just go straight up into Kentucky, you'll okay. see the signs for Franklin. Wow. It's, it's, the, it's the wrong Franklin. It's the oh. other Franklin. So, you can imagine 1866, that was rural Kentucky. Yeah. Uh, he didn't have an education. He uh, ended school at 16 years old and became the teacher of the school wow. that he went to, a little one-room huh. schoolhouse. Was not a Christian at that time. Okay. Became a Christian at age 27. We don't know very much about his conversion. But after he became a Christian, he started feeling called to the ministry. Hmm. So at age 36, he was ordained as a Methodist minister. And he only served for one year because he started having significant health issues. And his uh, health issues continued all throughout his life, and it really caused him a great deal of suffering Mm. throughout his life. He was never really healthy, fully healthy again. Mm. So because of that, he was only a a pastor for about one year, and then he had to leave his post and move to New Jersey and became an insurance agent. (laughs) And uh, just as best as he could with his health. Okay. made a very meager living for the rest of his life, never huh. made much money at all. It was, was very poor. Huh. But he had a gift for poetry. Wow. And so just on the side, almost as a hobby or kind of his own spiritual development, he wrote hundreds of poems. And most of them were reflections on Scripture or mm-hmm. you know, um, uh, themed around his relationship with Christ. I came across this quote that I thought summarized his outlook on life really well mm-hmm. that I thought I'd read as part of this. And I think you'll see the connection to the yeah. text when we get into that actual uh, lyrics of the song. But he was talking about how he never had much. And he said, my income has not been large at any time due to impaired health in the earlier years, which followed me until now. Although I must not fail to record here the unfailing faithfulness of a covenant-keeping God and that he has given me many wonderful displays of his providing care for which I'm filled with astonishing gratefulness. Mm. So that gratitude for the little provision he did have yeah. in the midst of his suffering really influenced his poetry, in particular the the poem uh, that became the lyrics of the song "Greatest yeah. Thy Faithfulness." Wow, that's really cool. Did, do you happen to know? Did he have other poems that became well-known songs in the church, or this is sort of like a like a one-hit wonder <laughs> situation? For sure, this is his best known. Mm-hmm. There were some other hymns that were published. Okay, and I'll tell you about his connection to why his hymn got published in a minute. Yeah, but 
I could be wrong. I'm not aware of any other one that he wrote that is well known. Yeah, I didn't to, at even least know his modern. name when you said it. I was yeah. like, I don't know that name at all. So, so he had a friend named William Runyon. Okay. And William Runyon was also a Methodist minister. Uh, he grew up as a musician, a church organist growing up, became a minister, became a, a pastor. He also worked at a hymnal publishing company. Hmm. And so Chisholm sent him uh, a whole bunch of his poetry. Okay. And Runyon read through this poetry, and some of them became published in a hymnal, and this was one of them. Mm. And one of the quotes that I loved that I found about William Runyon is he was looking through the collection of poetry that his, his friend Chisholm had sent him. He says, this particular poem, this one, held such appeal that I prayed most earnestly that my tune might carry over its message <laughs> in a worthy way. Uh, he wanted to match up to the right. lyric, yeah. So Curious Nate is a songwriter. Yeah. Have you ever been in that experience where there's a lyric that someone's written or you've written, mm. and you're like, this is a great lyric. I want the music to you know, yeah. kind of match it. The, the closest thing I can think to that is normally I, I'll have a great chorus, but the verses are not great. <laughs> so I can see that they don't match up. So I'm like, okay, I got to erase those verses because I got to match what I already have, stuff, you know, right? like, or else the whole song won't go anywhere, you know? So that's a, I mean, a good thought. So that guy did the music. Is that what you're saying? That's right. William Runyon wrote the okay. music and then uh, Chisholm wrote the lyrics and it was published in 1923. Wow. So that's a hundred years this year, mm. which is pretty significant. Hey, look at that. I'm curious what, if I would have asked you beforehand, how old do you think this hymn was? Oh man, I would 200 plus. Yeah. yeah, me too. Yeah, me too. And I think we have that idea that, that all the hymns in our hymn books, so to speak, are all written hundreds and hundreds of years ago. Yeah, this one was not. I mean, this came about in the 20th century. It became popular in the 20th century, which yeah. is the next part of the story. But so Runyon, who wrote the music, mm -hmm. he was friends with the president of Moody Bible Institute at the time, whose mm. name was Will Houghton. Okay. And it became Houghton's favorite hymn. So, mm. he, you know, he shared it with them. Hey, this is great. Now, Houghton had a um, radio program, Moody Bible Institute radio program. And there was a famous singer, wasn't famous at the time, George Beverly Shea, who would come on that radio program and sing hymns and mm. would sing Great is Thy Faithfulness. Billy Graham, who was a student at Wheaton at the time, heard George Beverly Shea sing that song, mm. among others. And eventually, uh, Billy Graham later went on to invite George Beverly Shea to sing on his crusades. Oh, wow. And that's what made Great Is Thy Faithfulness yeah. such a popular hymn. And mm. in the middle of the 20th, 20th century, it became you know, probably the most um, sung or one of the most sung hymns, both here and across the Atlantic and yeah. uh, Britain as well. Yeah, that'll do it. So that's the that's the backstory. <laughs> wow, I was interested to learn that. That's really cool. Yeah, it's interesting too. Like ha having him gone through only a year of being a pastor, and then uh, I'd love to know more about that decision to do insurance and health and moving away and the whole thing. I mean, there's a lot there. Um, and then this song is just born out of the state he was in. <laughs> you know, at that point, you know. Well, that's the thing that grabbed me, Nate. I have to imagine when he left the ministry due to his health concerns, he might have thought, well, there goes my opportunity for God right. to use me for Christian yeah. ministry. And it was not his pastoring and preaching that God used. Yeah. It was the lyrics of this poem. I mean, mm -hmm. he's had such a greater impact on oh the gosh. way we think yeah. about God's faithfulness than he would have just as a pastor yeah. in, in the Franklin, in Franklin. Kentucky. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. I, I love just getting backstory, and uh, you can think about that as a song gets played, you know, where it came from and 
yeah, what it means. So, so next thing I really want to talk about before we get to the line by line, and we'll get there soon. Yeah. But this hymn comes almost literally the, the chorus anyway out of scripture, which is one of the reasons I love about it. Mm. And you know, a lot of people know the passage it comes from because of the song. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's Lamentations <laughs> okay. chapter three, mm. uh, really verses twenty-two to twenty-four. Okay. Is where it centers on. And I want to just talk a little bit about that, and I'll read that passage before we get to the song itself. Yeah. So, Book of Lamentations is a really interesting book. It's a heavy book. It's a hard book. Mm. Uh, we get the idea, you know, lament. That's what the, the book is named after. Mm. And so the context of Lamentations was written written by Jeremiah the prophet, and it's in the ashes of Jerusalem mm. after it was essentially wiped off the face of the map by the Babylonians. Mm. And this was the worst time in Israel's history, Yeah. period. And you read Lamentations, and the first really two and a half chapters is unbelievable suffering. Mm. And, and I encourage our listeners to go read the first couple chapters of Lamentations. Mm. It describes suffering in a way that, that honestly uh, evokes so much emotion, dread, fear. It's really remarkable the way it's written. Mm. And so you get to chapter three, which is right in the middle of the book. There's six chapters. And there's this turn from the grief in the weight and the tears and the and, and really the lament into this line of hope. Hmm. And that's the part of Lamentations that many people know, which this song was based on. Hmm. So let me read to you the passage. I want to start back in verse 19 of Lamentations 3 to give you a little more context. And I'll read Lamentations 3, 19 through 24. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. Can we stop right there for a minute? <laughs> right. I had to look this up. What in the world is wormwood? Yeah. Okay. Wormwood is just this bitter uh, herb, okay. you know, and it's like the most bitter thing that they had ever tasted. Mm. And then gall is actually a poisonous mm. herb from a plant. Okay. So you just you just imagine this bitterness and this this poison. Yeah. And the image here is this sufferer Jeremiah, who's really delegated sufferer for the nation of Israel, kind of bearing the weight of the mm. grief for the people. He has been in this place of bitterness and sort of tasting the 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 gall, the, the, the poison of the suffering. It goes on verse 20, my soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But, and this is the turn of the whole book, mm. verse 21, but this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Mm. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Mm. And that's this beautiful glimmer of sunlight and hope and, and restoration of his soul in the midst of agony. And then honestly, the book goes back to the suffering right. again. Okay. But, but, Lament, if you really think about it, is not just crying and not just grieving. Lament is grieving that always leads us to hope. Mm. It leads us to hope in Christ ultimately. Yeah. And so that's what this text is about that this beautiful hymn was based on. So that is that's all cool. the backstory, so to speak, but yeah. the personal backstory for the author and then the scriptural backstory in the mm -hmm. context. Yeah. Yeah. Which kind of mirrors what you're saying about the author, you know, saying, I don't have a lot of wages. Things are not amazing, you know, but he goes to gratefulness and 
gratitude in that, you know, it's, it hits a little different than saying like, I have everything I need. My life is awesome. You know, like everything's going great. Great is thy faithfulness. It just hits a little bit differently to say, Hey, this is not perfect. You know, there are uh, things on this earth that I would want, but I can point to Jesus and say, he's all I need. I'm great. You know, grateful for that. So, which is exactly why it matters that it comes from this verse that's in in the lowest part of yeah. Israel's story. Yeah. And why it matters to me that it comes from a writer who didn't have an easy life, mm-hmm. whose dream was lost and shattered. And he devoted his life then to reflecting on his relationship with God in mm-hmm. spite of the, the loss or, or in the midst yeah. of the in loss. A place of weakness and, yeah. So that's where this song comes from. We 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 hear it and we sing it off in this sort of this triumphant, you know, life is good, great is God's faithfulness. Mm. It came from <laughs> a very different place, which gives the song a whole uh, deeper meaning yeah, to me. Yeah, depth to it, yeah. Yes. All right, so do you want to get into the exposition? Yeah, let's try this out. I'm interested to hear, you know, I know the song, but uh, yeah, the line by line thing I'm excited for. So a lot of hymns are like this. Um, the lyrics, for the most part, are written in parallel lines. Mm-hmm. So, for the most part, you have two lines that kind of go together. Okay. And often, and this is, by the way, how Hebrew poetry is written as yeah. well, like the Psalms, for example, oftentimes. So, in this case, I'll just start in verse one. These first two lines essentially say the same thing in two different ways, which okay. is why they're called parallelism. They're parallel to each other. The first line, great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. That phrase, no shadow of turning, really stood out to me. Yeah. As I thought about that, we don't usually talk that mm-hmm. way. But we do have an expression that's similar. I don't know if you've ever used it, but sometimes I'll use the phrase, there's not a shadow of doubt. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the idea of certainty. Well, if you think about what that really means is there's so little doubt that there, there's there's no even a little bit of part of doubt. There's, you can't even see the shadow of yeah, the remnant of it, much or... less the substance. <laughs> yeah. Right. Huh. So he's taking the image of the shadow and, and sort of creating this negative space. This, not only does God not turn away, huh. not only does God not change, but there's not even a shadow, a hint, huh. a glimpse, a vapor. <laughs> he's not even thinking about yeah. ever turning. Mm. That's sort of the opening line of this hymn. God's faithfulness, steadfastness is so great Mm. that he doesn't even imagine turning. He goes on after that to continue the same theme. He says, thou changest not, thy compassions they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. Mm. To me, as I thought about it, I realized to, to Chisholm, who wrote these words, it seems to me the most important part of God's faithfulness is he doesn't change. Mm. And I don't know about you, Nate, I'm curious, when you think of the word faithfulness, mm-hmm. um, whether it's in relationship to God or relationship to your commitment to your wife or a friendship that's faithful, what are the what's the first things that come to your mind? Because for me, it's not the idea of unchanging. It, yeah. it kind of has other context to it, but I'm curious for you. Yeah. I mean, I, I've always thought of the word promise when I think about faithful. It's a promise kept, you know. Um, maybe that comes back to a wedding ceremony saying, like, I will be faithful to these vows. You know, I will uh, – you can count on me, you know, is another phrase that would come up with faithfulness. Or I think about when a person is described as he's a very faithful guy. Uh, committed, you know, is another word that would come up. Dedicated. Or, yeah. 
you don't have to wonder like you, you know, he's good for it, you know, that kind of thing. So, so that's, it's not contrary to the idea that Chisholm is really exploring here, but mm-hmm. he, he, he really zeroes in on the unchanging part of that. Yeah. It's like he is the same today as he was hundred years ago, a thousand years ago, mm-hmm. a billion years ago. He's yeah. unchanging. Right. That's who he is. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about this, like, why was it that part of God's faithfulness, the, mm. you know, the unchanging nature of God yeah. that, that Chisholm essentially wrote this entire hymn on. So I think he could have gone a little bit of a different way with faithfulness and talked about other things. Yeah. But from my perspective, th- this, would, this would be my guess mm-hmm. of why that meant so much to him was to, to live as a human being in a broken world, there's so little that is stable and predictable mm. that we can count on. And I'm thinking about in this writer's own life. I mean, <laughs> his health daily was a battle. He, what he wanted to do, he first was a teacher, and then he became a pastor, and that dream didn't last, and became this. And he moved from had to move from place to place, which you know that was unusual for that time. Mm. And I think the idea is the rest of life feels so stable and unpredictable. It matters that we have something. Yeah, the contrast that doesn't change. Yeah, for sure. Just the rock. You know, mm-hmm. scripture often describes God as that refuge, that fortress, that rock. Yeah. I do think of contrast, you know, I think about this world will always leave us wanting, you know, that there's a line, one of the songs we sing, you know, and I think there, that's a purposeful contrast. If, if the Lord made this world and he put us in it, I think it's a purposeful thing. It's like, you're going to, along the way, you're going to find things that are going to bother you. (laughs) And one of them is going to be inconsistencies and things you can't count on and things that let you down, you know? And I just wonder if that was just, when you experience those, remember, I'm not that way. <laughs> you know, I'm the opposite of all those things. You can count on me. I, I can't let you down. Not, not only will I not let you down, I, I'm incapable of doing it because I'm God. I'm perfect, you know. And so, yeah, the shadow of turning, I'd never heard it explained like that. But that's how far he is from letting us down. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> you know, you can't even see a, a leftovers of it, you know. Um, that's really cool. And he is the only one who is unchanging. He's the only thing that is unchanging. Mm. He's this, this wonderful mass of stability in the midst of everything else that's uncertain and unpredictable. Yeah. Yeah. When I was meditating on this hymn, I remembered a little lyric to a country song that I learned or I heard many, many years ago. Mm. The, the lyric is like, like two sparrows in a hurricane mm. trying to find our way. And that image has stood with me. You think about how small and, and, and weak a sparrow is and the massive force of a hurricane. <laughs> That's how life feels sometimes. Right. Good like, luck. <laughs> sparrows in a hurricane. Yeah. And what Chisholm is saying is in the midst of, of that sense mm-hmm. that life is like that, mm-hmm. God is solid. Yeah. God is unchanging. And then the phrase, he says, thy change is not thy compassions, they fail not. Now, he could have pulled a lot of different threads of what parts of God's unchanging character he wanted to yeah. talk about. But Lamentations 3 talks about his compassion, mm-hmm. his mercies, as it says. Yeah. And so I thought about this for a sufferer. The most important part of God's unchangeableness mm. is his compassion. That's interesting. His yeah. love, his mercy. Right. So that's what uh, both the writer of Lamentations, who is Jeremiah, 
and also the author of this hymn, they, they really wanted to pull that out. Amidst God's unchanging nature, it's his compassion <laughs> that I need right now. Yeah. And that's what I'm going to count on. Right. His judgments never change. Like his fairness never changes, but we're not talking about those here. <laughs> we're talking about his compassion for us. Yeah. That's right. That's interesting. Again, because that's what a sufferer often needs to yeah. be reminded of. Huh. So that's first one. Yeah. <laughs> So it's a good start. <laughs> yeah. I'm just going through this the way we would sing it. So typically yeah. you sing the verse, and then you go right into the chorus. Great is thy faithfulness. Mm. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. Mm. And obviously the chorus starts with just the clearest statement of the big idea. Yeah. Great. God's faithfulness is great. And, and one of the things I do like about this hymn, it's one that's being sung toward God as a prayer. And, and not all songs are like that. Mm-hmm. They don't need to be like that. But I do like the fact that this is so easy just to adapt to our own prayers. Like, I'm worshiping God here. I'm adoring you. Mm -hmm. You are great. Your faithfulness is great. Mm -hmm. And then the phrase, morning by morning, new mercies I see, which, of course, comes straight from Lamentations. His mercies are new every morning. Mm -hmm. I think there is something about the rhythm of the morning. It's the sun that comes up after the night that kind of evokes in me this idea of like hope after a season of darkness that I think is part of the beauty of being reminded of God's mercy in the morning. That's really cool. And I do like as well, he says, new mercies I see. Every morning I see new mercies. Mm -hmm. Well, what are the new mercies? Well, it's almost like a, a diamond, you know, and, and uh, you may have seen a diamond a hundred times, but you see it from a new hmm. angle and it reflects the light in a new way. Mm-hmm. And you see a new mercy every time you look at it. So there's this pattern or this rhythm of, of God showing up after the night, experiencing his mercy yet again hmm. from a new angle. Yeah. The, and yeah, morning by morning also reminds me of that constant wave of faithfulness you know like a, it's a a phrase that i wouldn't always connect with that but in the context of that chorus it's almost like a little parallelism as well it's like he's just saying the same thing you're faithful you're faithful morning by morning it's like that's you know it's coming you know <laughs> when right. when night ends guess what's coming next <laughs> you know it's like it would be so strange if morning didn't come it would be out of the ordinary you know it's out of the ordinary for god to let us down it's all saying the same thing which is cool He's going to talk in verse 2, which we'll get to in a Mm. minute, more about the rhythms of creation Mm. and how the consistency of the rhythms remind us of that faithfulness. But that's what you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. Aren't we glad that that's such a consistent thing? We know the sun's going to rise again. Yeah. There's another song that uses that waves of mercy, and it was explained to me that way too. Wave comes, wave goes. Wave comes. You sit there for hours, for days, for weeks. It's the same thing. Constant, waves. Consistent. And that's what mercy is. <laughs> you know? Predictable. Yeah. So then the last two lines of the chorus say, All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Hmm. I love the image with all I've needed, thy hand hath provided. It, it reminds me that God provides for us from his hand. And as I was reflecting on this song, you know, preparing to share these thoughts, I was in my kitchen and we have a bird feeder right outside our kitchen window that that we really enjoy seeing what kinds of birds come. And there is a sense of a bird being provided for that I connected to and I thought hmm. about this. And, and it's sort of just like, hey, maybe it's because I'd already thought about the sparrows in Hurricane. <laughs> right, <idea>. yeah. <laughs> but it's God yeah. feeding us from his hand. I, I just imagine myself as a, a little bird. And 
He's holding out his hand. He's providing for me. He's, he's feeding me. All I've needed, your hand hath provided. And I think that sometimes in our modern time, we feel so separated from God's direct provision. Mm. How do we eat? We don't have to pull it from the ground. We go to the grocery store. Mm-hmm. You know, the clothes that we clothing that we purchase, we didn't see it made. We didn't have to labor to, to get it with our own hands. Mm. We forget the fact that it is actually God that is providing for us. Mm. And everything that we enjoy and all of our provision comes from God's creation, comes from his hand providing it. So I really liked that line to mm-hmm. remind me it's your hand, God, that's that has provided. And then that second line, or just close, close up the chorus, great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Do you hear how personal that gets? Yeah. So he, the chorus starts with, your faithfulness is great. Your faithfulness is great. And it gets very personal. I see your mercies every morning. All I've needed, your hand has provided. And all this faithfulness is unto me. Mm-hmm. So I really like the way he shaped that in the chorus. Yeah. That's a hard thing to say. Like everything I need, <laughs> you've provided. Not everything I want or would like to have. You know, there's a big contrast there in terms of uh, I'm thankful for the way he provides exactly what I need. You know, and that could be in this life. That could be himself providing us himself, <laughs> you know, which is uh, usually where I go in this sort of vertical worship space is saying like everything I need really is you, <laughs> you know, and thanking him for that. And you've provided that to me, you know. Um, and so, again, back to what I was saying about if you have everything that you need on earth by your own efforts, it's a little bit different to say that, you know, to your point about groceries, <laughs> I can provide that for myself. But is it really me that's providing it? You know, that's it's all in that question. You know, there is something about being more in touch with that level of dependence that you're talking about mm-hmm. that brings us to joy. Mm. And, and again, I think about that quote I read earlier from Chisholm, how he's talking about, I haven't had much, but, I, but let me reflect on what I do have. And it's led me to gratitude. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes the less we have, the more grateful we are because of that yeah, dynamic. Yeah. Uh-huh. So let's go to verse two. And I want to read the whole verse. It's just four lines because it carries the same idea. And I want to talk about it. it it's one of my favorite ideas in the hymn. Summer and winter and springtime and harvest. Sun, moon, and stars in their courses above join with all nature in manifold witness to thy great faithfulness, mercy, and love. So in essence, what he's saying here, big picture, is all of creation gives its voice as a witness and a witness of worship. And and what is it a witness of? His faithfulness, his mercy, and love, which we already know from the previous verse, his mercy and love, which is another way of talking about his compassion, mm-hmm. is a part of his faithfulness, mm-hmm. his constancy. But the idea that's really fascinated me is the concept of the rhythms of creation. Mm-hmm. I think it's so important that God made the universe and made the earth in consistent rhythms. We have 24-hour days. We have this rising of the sun and setting of the sun, as Mm. we talked about. Uh, We have uh, seven-day weeks and 52-week years. You have the season, um, spring, summer, winter, fall. As you and I are recording this today, it's it's one of those glorious spring days where it's been really cold, Mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden it's warm. (laughs) It's just wonderful to be outside. Yeah. 
And there, there's something for me, especially about the transition from winter to spring, that is that nighttime to morning idea or for that sure. darkness to light. Yeah. And I find myself so grateful when this time of year comes and things start to thaw out. And it, it does take my mind to God's everlasting hmm. faithfulness. So the rhythms of creation, we already talked about morning and night. Now he's he's talking about the seasons. He's talking about the sun, the moon, the stars. They, they all, all work, work together. And, and this idea of manifold witness, manifold just means it's many, many parted. So everything in nature is giving witness, is giving testimony hmm. to the faithfulness of God, his mercy, his love. And I just think that's a beautiful idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it reminds me of uh, Psalm 19, talks about the heavens declare the glories of God. Day after day, night after night, they pour forth speech, you know, like they're praising this is already happening, <laughs> you know, and so the just going through each season like that, you know, it just reminds me of uh, of nature worshiping Jesus, you know, and Jesus creating nature to do that. You know, it's just like it boggles my mind. Uh, the other thing that, too that that made me think of is uh, when you were talking about, you know, 52, um, you know, weeks in the year and 24 hours in the day, like those are all things I take for granted, like, I never think that they, it could have not been that way. Like, this world could function in a different way, right? I don't know what that would be. But, it, you know, like one season or, you know, um, the, there is no sun. You know, I'm just trying to think of the ways that God could have created the universe. But, you know, when you're saying that's purposefully made that way, it's like, of course it was. You know, he wants to show us, whether we want to see it or not, how he functions. You know, he is constant. He you know, even through the ups and downs, he is there. And so he created a world that functions that way, that shows us that. It's like a character of God, like hidden in the creation that we live in. Whether you're a Christian or not, you know about seasons <laughs> and you know about waves and you know about these things that go ebb and flow, you know? So yeah, it's, my imagination doesn't always go there, but it's like, it didn't have to be made this way. Don't forget that. It could have been made in a number of ways. But it was. God made a creation that operates on rhythm. Mm. And I think there is really important truth in that. And I think the way that we're created internally, even in ways that we don't fully recognize, we're designed for rhythm. That's why I think the the sleep cycle, the wake cycle, uh, e- even the the weekly rhythm of coming to church keeping a Sabbath. Mm. There's all intentionality in this. And, you know, I I don't know much about biorhythms and other things, but I think science and medical research would tell us as well, yeah, there's something about our bodies that operate on rhythms. Mm. And so this idea of of, um, God creating the the earth in a rhythm, it's an important concept that that I don't think we think about it enough. And it, it reminds me of a song. Yeah as well mm. and sort of and i want to step in tune to the song of creation I, I think there's a lot of peace and joy that we find in walking in the rhythm that god has uh, created in us yeah but th- there's a lot i don't understand about that but i i do love the idea that what what he's writing here in this hymn mm-hmm. is he's saying it's not just creation that talks about god's faithfulness, mm-hmm. but particularly the rhythms of creation. Yeah, exactly. That seems to be what he's emphasizing, yeah. that cry out to God's faithfulness. Mm-hmm. And then let's talk about the third verse. 
the first two lines, pardon for sin and a peace that endureth thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide. So he shifts from a focus on the creation to now a focus on salvation. Mm -hmm. In the first line, pardon for sin and a peace that endureth. You know, that's clearly, he's evoking his gratitude for his own personal salvation. So in the midst of his own suffering, which is a lot of areas he can't control, he also recognizes, yeah, and I've got sin inside of me that had to be pardoned. And he's expressing gratitude. And what happens when our sin is pardoned is we get that peace, (laughs) that everlasting peace, Mm -hmm. which Paul talks about uh, as well, and a number of biblical authors do. And then the second line, he's talking about the presence of the Spirit, thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide. So what immediately follows the pardon for sin when we when we're hearts are converted is the indwelling of the Spirit. Mm. So pardon for sin, as if that wasn't enough, right. and it would be if that's all we got, yeah. we also get the presence of God himself, thine own dear presence. And what does the Spirit do? cheers and guides mm. you know and cheer in this context is not so much rah rah cheerleader al- yeah. although i don't think that's always inappropriate to think of it that way but it, but it's really um it's about lifting our spirits mm-hmm. um, not just making us surface level happy but keeping us hope filled mm. that's the idea of, of cheer you, know, you think about someone who's down or someone who's sick or someone who's struggling and and, and a word from a friend or a reminder of, of a scripture cheers them up. Mm, right. That's the image. And then guiding, of course, is directing us. Yeah. So he's, he's lifting us up, sustaining us, the spirit is, and he's directing and guiding us. Mm-hmm. So then the last two lines of this third verse kind of build on this idea of salvation and the presence of the spirit that now indwell us through salvation. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings all mine, and 10,000 beside. So he pulls out two two of the blessings, his strength for today, bright hope for tomorrow. Two of the most simple things that we need to make it through a hard day. We need endurance. We need hope. We need strength, and we need hope. And he's he's just saying that those two things. And then that last line I I love because he says, blessings all mine. He's like, those two things are mine. And Mm -hmm. with 10,000 beside it, I get the idea of of those two things, just strength and hope. Those two things would be enough. Right, yeah. But that's not all we get. We get 10,000 more. Yeah. It's a little bit like the uh, the first half of the verse, too. Like you said the same thing about if we were just pardoned, it would be enough. But there's more, <laughs> like that push to like abundance, you know, like more than we needed. It, we got added on, you know. Um, and so the same thing at the end there saying, I got these two amazing things, but I actually have 10,000 in two things. <laughs> you know, it's like exactly. they, they keep going, you know. That reminds me of the, there's an old Hebrew song or a, a, a chant that Hebrew or Jewish people often do at Passover, and we've adopted that into some of our family's Passover celebration that we do. We do a Christian Passover with mm. our family. And it's called Dayenu. Okay. And Dayenu is the Hebrew word for sufficient. or, or mm. it, 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 It's enough. Mm. And the way this poem, which now become a, a kind of a song or a chant, the way it works is, you know, the leader says, he retells the story of um, – Hebrew history line by line. And he says, if he would have just rescued us from Egypt, 
and all the people say Dayenu. Yeah. In other words, that would have been enough. That would have been sufficient. Totally. And then he says, if he would have just rescued us from Egypt, but not sustained us in the wilderness, Dayenu, that would have been enough. Mm. If he would have just rescued us from Egypt and sustained us in the wilderness, but not brought us in the promised land, Dayenu, that would have been enough. If he'd not just, you know, it goes it's on and on building. and just builds the stories that any of those yeah. one things would have been enough, but yeah. God did not stop there. Mm, that's so good. And and that's that's ultimately where where Chisholm, as he wrote this hymn, mm. leads the the singer is to reflect on not just the most simplest of God's blessings. But let those simple ones be enough and, and stir your imagination to mm. realize how much more you have yeah. than even what you just need. Right, yeah. So that's the hymn. And I can understand why it's become mm-hmm. such an important one in our faith. And again, all that has happened in the last 70, 80 years, well, 100 years since it was published, but probably 70, 80 years since it's become very popular. And if you think of all that's gone on in the world, Mm -hmm. in the last 70 or 80 years, I think it's probably safe to say the world has changed more in that period of time than any other 70 or 80 year period of time before. I mean, it's just massively accelerating the pace of change. And and we all feel that. So in the context of an ever-changing, unstable, unpredictable, flimsy-ish culture that we live in, what is the one thing? Yeah that we can count on. It is the faithful one. It is the faithfulness of God. Great is thy faithfulness, Mm. Lord God. There's something about what we just did and what the listener (laughs) of the podcast got to hear is a slow reading of a text, like of a song. And it reminded me of uh, something I learned in college, uh, the Lectio Divina, you know, of, of reading something slowly and then reading it again <laughs> and then reading it again you know it's, it's a, a way that the the word washes over you i think it was how it was explained um and when that's a different kind of reading it's like a reading that you're like slowly like a digestion of a meal you know that versus it's just a, a quick passing through you know you're sitting with it you're like savoring every bite you know there's a, a, a slowness to it and so, man, I don't, I, I can't even think of how many times I've sung that song. Hundreds, you know, and led that song in worship services and growing up singing it with my, you know, church growing up. I never have noticed some of those phrases in there, you know, shadow of turning, you know, morning by morning, what that really means, you know. Um, so thanks for just walking through that. I think um, as we sing songs, they have a tendency to just to fly by their three, four, five minute chunks of music <laughs> you know and i, I there's a, a certain experience in a room of just seeing words on a screen and you know the melody and you just kind of sing them like you would like a national anthem or happy birthday or you know just sing it because we're here and you know this sort of treatment of a lyric is different you know and it causes me to like pause on every line and think what does that mean how does that change me i mean honestly it's a little bit of revelation response in every line, you know, because he's revealing himself. I'm faithful. I made seasons. You are pardoned. Like each one of those things is like a different bucket that I could just like camp on and worship, you know, like every one of them leads me to response. 
And I think that, you know, that chorus is always such a great, I mean, this is more of a songwriting point, but like, that's the chorus you want to sing after every verse. It's like, what do you say after you look at creation and nature? Great is thy faithfulness. What do you say after you remember you've been forgiven and pardoned? Great is thy faithfulness. You know, like, and so that, that chorus is so powerful in those spots because it's, you know, sometimes when we write music, we think what's always going to be true when we get there. You know, it's got to be repeatable. It's got to be a, a motif. That's about as good as a motif as you can get celebrating his faithfulness. Yeah, I agree. As you were talking, I was reminded of Psalm 1, mm. which talks about you know, the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And his law, he meditates day and night. And it goes on to say he's like a tree planted by streams mm. of water. Well, yeah. really the idea of meditating is what you talked about. It's considering it slowly mm. it's word by word phrase by phrase grabbing on to the meaning of it which is what we're called to do with the scripture mm -hmm. and so this hymn again I, one of the things i love about it is how closely it is tied to, to lamentations three and so much of the scripture is written in that poetic form that kind of mm -hmm. helps your mind meditate it's like, oh that's a different way to look at it it's a different way to say it yeah so I want to encourage our, our listeners as you're thinking about the songs we sing yeah. at fellowship or wherever you go to church or even when you're not in church, you're in your car, you're mm -hmm. in the shower, you're yeah. wherever you are. Obviously, everybody's heard this, but think about the lyrics, but I want to encourage you, don't, don't just think about the lyrics in terms of like, you know, evaluate them. That, that matters. Mm -hmm. but, but think about, meditate on them, chew on them, mm -hmm. uh, see them from different angles, hold them up, reflect on them. You know, it, it, maybe there's a line that stands out to you. Just hold on to it. Just repeat it. Mm -hmm. Keep going into it and see how God will use uh, this theology that's embedded into our worship songs mm -hmm. to shape you. Amen. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I there's a this was in a previous um, episode on season two, but um, where my mind is at while I'm leading worship. That's something I've been reflecting a lot recently in my own life. And uh, there's a lot to be focused on. I, I don't know if it's the same for preaching. It's like that person's walking and that, you know, sound of the baby or <laughs> just like being distracted, you know. And I I constantly bring you back to that point of like, what am I focusing on? Like, I, you know, I'm playing guitar and I'm trying to make sure that the lyrics are right. And there's all these details in the room and I can get distracted on everything. And lately, I've been trying just to put myself in God's presence, like in a throne room, looking at Jesus and trying to think about each line like that. And it's honestly, in the last couple of weeks, it's just changed the way I experience God in a worship service because I'm able to access what I'm saying to him in a different way, as opposed to just almost by rote, you know, like I know the song, I'm going to sing it. It's the hundredth time I've sang it, you know, and I hope we never get there. I hope we never get to the point where it's just coming out of our lips, but it doesn't mean anything. It's sort of like I've said it a thousand times, you know, and so, yeah, 100%, that's an encouragement to anyone listening is the songs that we sing matter so much and the, and the lyrics have been crafted for that moment for you to be able to, I mean, this is such a vertical song straight to Jesus, you know, and, and back to me, like your mercies are to me. You know, I know that the next time we sing this at church, like <laughs> I'm going to be thinking on these things, you know, and that, that's such a gift to me and to people listening today. So thanks, Rob, for 
taking the time oh, just to do welcome. all that. Yeah. And go go ahead and get it in our song mix soon, man. I'm ready to see oh, my gosh. Fel- fellowship. Right. We just made a change for Sunday. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> awesome. Cool. Well, yeah, thanks again for coming on. And I hope this has been an encouragement um, to y'all. And uh, yeah, we'll see you in the next episode. Revelation Response is produced by Fellowship Bible Church and Fellowship Songs. You can check us out online at fellowshipbiblechurch.org or by searching Fellowship Songs wherever you stream your music. Also, please leave us a like and give us a follow to hear more episodes like this. Thanks for listening.